Matthew 21, verses 1 through 13. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its foal, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. All right. Good afternoon. Uh, My name is Chris. Uh, If you're new, uh, either here or streaming online for the first time, uh, that's who I am. Uh, good to have you guys. Uh, we would love to, uh, if you are visiting for the first time, get an opportunity to uh, just uh, meet you, uh, maybe give you a free gift uh, for, for visiting or for visiting online for the first time. And so um, you can either do that at the Connect table out back. We've got a little card for you to fill out. Um, or uh, on our website, it's kx.church slash welcome. You could do that there too. Uh, but today is Palm Sunday. It's a day that we uh, commemorate the beginning of Jesus's final week on earth before his death on the cross. And so we're going to be looking at the passage of scripture that sort of unpacks that historic event in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, before we dive in, if you missed last week, you'll want to know that we did switch our primary uh, translation, Bible translation, uh, from the ESV uh, to the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, and the ESV is still a great translation. I used it this week while I was studying for this sermon. Uh, but the reason we switched to the CSB is we, we think it's a great blend of both uh, accuracy and how it translates the original language, uh, but also readability. And for that reason, we think it'll better serve our church as a whole as we help you grow in learning how to read the Bible for yourself. That's, so, that's something we're so passionate about. Um, we want to make sure that more than, uh, more than a brand or a personality or a mission or a purpose, that you are getting to know the real Jesus from his word. And so we want to help you learn how to read the Bible for yourself, understand it, and apply it for, to your day-to-day life. Uh, and so if you want to know information about that, you can uh, catch that announcement on our Facebook page. It's still up uh, from last week week, or check out the article section of our website later this week. We'll have it there too. So that's our preface, Matthew chapter 21, where we read about Jesus's triumphal entry. Uh, why don't you pray? Uh, let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll get started. Uh, Father God, this is your word. 
We need it. We need your word to experience life as it was meant to be experienced. We need your word to experience true life. Your word says that mankind doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you'd speak to us as we walk through this passage of scripture so that our souls can be nourished by the good news of your grace in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Many entrances are a big deal, right? I mean, whether we're talking about ancient royalty or the modern celebrity, a lot of cultures throughout history have made a big deal about how prominent people make their entrances, how they enter the room. In ancient empires, when uh, the emperor arrived, crowds of people and many armies would line up for the announcement of his arrival. There'd be lots of fanfare. Sometimes there'd be fireworks and gunfire. In our nation today, there's this iconic moment that happens once a year when the, the house chamber is buzzing and millions of Americans are tuned in, waiting to hear the State of the Union. And when the president finally arrives, you hear that loud shout from the sergeant of arms, where he just shouts out, Mr. Speaker, the president of the United States. And then the president enters the room and, and the whole house goes, uh, just goes wild. Entrances are also uh, uh, prominent and important at a popular level. Like when celebrities arrive on the red carpet, you got all the cameras flashing everywhere. Or like if you've ever seen a professional uh, sports, like an indoor game, like hockey or basketball, where the lights go down in the stadium, the music starts blaring, the spotlights turn on, and the announcer starts to introduce the home team. And in Matthew 21, what we read about is, a, is another epic entrance. It might be the most epic and unexpected entrance that has happened in human history. And this entrance is way more important, way more crucial, and way more critical than the entrance of an emperor or a king or a president or celebrity. We're talking about the entrance of our Lord Jesus Christ as he entered into the city of Jerusalem, moving toward the most important event in all of human history. He enters into the city in order to die. And this entrance in chapter 21, it begins the last week of Jesus' life. In the Gospel of Matthew that we're reading from, there are 28 chapters total, and the last eight of those 28 are focused on Jesus' final days. In the Gospel of Mark, it's chapter 11 of chapter 16 that we read about his death. In the Gospel of John, it's chapter 12 of 21 that we read about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And why do I mention that? It's because it tells us that the larger chunk, the more important part of each gospel book, of each gospel account, focuses on this last week of Jesus' life. And so if you really want to understand who it is that Jesus is, and if you want to understand the key to what he has done and accomplished, then you need to understand these final days. You need to understand his death and resurrection. And in the Gospel of Matthew, that journey to the cross begins here in chapter 21. And so we're going to look at the triumphal entry today. We're going to look at his death on Good Friday and the good news and glorious hope of his resurrection on Easter Sunday. Here's our first point from Matthew 21 today. 
is I want you to notice the gentle posture of Jesus. I want you to notice his gentle posture. Read verses one through three with me. Again, we're reading in the CSB, and in the first few verses it says, when they, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. Now, once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt, which is like a baby donkey, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. I love picturing the way that this, this, this scene sort of unfolds. Jesus says like, hey, if anyone's like, dude, that's my bike right? Just tell them, hey, the Lord needs it, right? The Lord needs it and make sure they know that I'm going to be the one who rides it. I mean, and these disciples, they were probably confused when they heard this, when he requested this donkey, because they, they, they saw Jesus' power on display. These were his closest followers. They saw how he commanded the winds and the sea to be still. They saw how he delivered people from leprosy and sickness and, 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 and from demons, how he raised Lazarus from the dead. They saw all of that. And surely he was worthy of a greater entrance than on the back of a donkey, a baby of a donkey, a colt. So what's the idea behind this colt of a donkey? I want you to read on in verses four and five. It says that this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Where it says, tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there's this prophecy that says, tell capital D daughter, capital Z Zion, which is another name for God's city, Jerusalem. And this prophecy is from Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. That's being quoted here. Look, this is important because it tells just the very fact that the older scriptures like in Zechariah, actually prophesied and foretold that this event would go down like this, tells us that Jesus is in control. He's in control over the events that will unfold this week. What's about to go down in Jerusalem this week has been planned for quite some time before the foundation of time. In fact, a few chapters later, in chapter 26 of Matthew, Jesus says, in two days will be the Passover and the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be crucified. Jesus is on a schedule. He's fulfilling scripture. He is the Messiah that has been promised in the Old Testament to defeat evil, sin, and death once and for all. He's in complete control. There's another reason that the Zechariah quote is significant here. It's because of what it actually says about Jesus. In verse 5 again, if you look at it, it's that prophecy says, See, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. What kind of king is he? How is it that he comes to his great city? Gently. He comes gently. And so Jesus is saying like, yes, I am a king. I'm the king of kings, but not 
the kind of king that fits into the world's categories. Not an oppressive king, not an overpowering king. I'm gentle. The kind of king that brings together both majesty and meekness, both holiness and humility. And that's what I want you to see about his posture. His posture is gentle. Read on with me in verses 6 through 9. It says that those disciples he spoke to, those two disciples, they went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and then they laid their clothes on them, and he, Jesus, sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees. Uh, the Gospel of John says that they're palm leaves. That's where we get Palm Sunday from. And they were spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so the disciples, they get the donkey and the colt. They set him up. They set Jesus up on top of their coats. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Crowds line up alongside the road. They're laying their clothes down and palm branches down to welcome him. It's this epic entrance. And they shout this, this phrase, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, word Hosanna... Is, is a word of praise. It's a word of celebration. Why is there this word of praise and celebration? It's because Jesus, as a descendant of David, they believed him to be the capital S son of David who's riding into Jerusalem. The Messiah riding into the great city of God. And so this whole scene in Jerusalem is just brimming up with anticipation, pregnant with excitement. This is the time of the Passover, the time when all the people would come into Jerusalem, in, into the temple area to celebrate their redemption, to celebrate the victory uh, from, the, from when they, they were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. This is where they are celebrating the fact that their God is the God who saves. Their God is the one who redeems, the one who delivers. And so the people are laying down their cloaks and spreading down these branches, which is something in their culture that you only did for royalty. Because the road was often covered with, with dust and grime and all kinds of animal turds. And so in order to show great honor to someone, when they rode into town, people would like take off their coats. They would lay them down on the road. They'd throw branches on the ground, which was both practical because it, uh, it, it kind of kept the, the ground clean for royalty, but, but it was also ceremonial, kind of like throwing uh, confetti or throwing streamers. But in this day, you don't do that for just anybody. You only do that for someone who's fit to be king. You only do that for royalty. And that's why they're singing and shouting this praise word, Hosanna. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is being hailed as a king. When they say, Hosanna, the son of David, it's their way of saying, hail the king. 
Hail the king, not just any king, but the capital K king. This is the redeemer king, the one that creation has longed for, the king who would bring the hope and freedom that every Passover before has pointed to. This is the rightful king of the Jews, the Messiah, the rightful king of the world, the creator. This was Jesus's royal reception, the king of kings, royal reception. And but there's still that one surprising, jarring detail that Christ the king isn't riding in on some decorated war horse like the kings would normally would in that time, but he rode in on a colt of a donkey. And so here's Jesus, this great king of kings, who's proven to hold miraculous power, who's come to end evil once and for all, to end all evil, to end Satan's sin and death. But he's riding in on an animal that's really more fit for a hobbit than a man of royalty, of royal stature. It's fit more for a servant than for a warrior king. Jesus is almost proving this point. He's showing that he contains both majesty and meekness, both power and mercy. He is a unique kind of king. He is the servant king. Is this how you see our Lord Jesus? Is he a great and worthy king? Does he command the heavenly armies? Yes, he is, and yes, he does. But part of the beauty of the gospel is how the excellencies of Jesus are are not just one-sided. They're both and. He is both infinite and accessible. He's both judge and merciful. He's both a solid rock and a precious pearl. I love what Dane Ortland says in his book that focuses on the gentleness and lowliness of Jesus. He says, meek, humble, and gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated which is to say he's not anxious. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Man, for guilty sinners like me and like you, this changes everything. Jesus breaks all categories that measly humans can come up with for what the Lord our God should be like. He combines traits that naturally seem contradictory. But this is the way of Jesus. He's the lion and the lamb. Even though he's our great God and king, his posture is gentle. But there's more than his gentle posture in this chapter. We also see, number two, his true position. He's got a true position when it comes to worship in the temple. In the next verses, we learn something about that unique position and the unique position he has in the whole Bible story. In verses 12 and 13, it says that Jesus, from there, he went into the temple and he threw out all those people that were buying and selling. 
He overturned the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Kind of intense, right? (laughs) I mean, Jesus, the gentle and lowly one, Jesus, the meek and mild one, comes in here and starts throwing people out. He starts turning over tables. Why does Jesus get so angry here? What is it that got him so ticked to the point that he starts flipping over tables? It's because this is the place, the temple's outer courts is the place where people are supposed to come to meet with God. I want you to to picture the architecture like this. This is, this is what the temple in Jerusalem looked like. There's this, there was this inner part that only the high priests have access to. That's where the sacrifices were made. That's where the mercy seat was. And then there's this, this another layer outside of that where other priests who were not high priests could also have access to where they mediated on behalf of the people. And then there was this, this, this other layer, this next layer, and that was for the common Jews, for those that were Jewish, part of the chosen people of God, but were non-priests. And then the farthest layer in the temple was what was called the court of the Gentiles. That was where all the non-Jews were. Most of them were not believers. A few of them were, were, were non-Jews who had converted uh, to Judaism, but most of them were not believers. They didn't know God, but they came to the temple because they had some curiosities. They had some questions. They were curious about this sacrificial system. They were inquiring about sin and forgiveness, They had some questions. The outer temple court is the place that evangelism would happen. Kind of like a concert venue. You've got the band that's allowed to go on stage. The VIPs get to go backstage. There's a pit area where you could be like right up front if you've paid for those good seats, but then you've got the the stadium seats like up up in the back. Like that's, that's where the Gentile courts are, where the unbelievers are supposed to be hang out there and to be invited in to get introduced to God and his people. But here in Matthew 21, Jesus walks into the temple and in those outer courts, what he sees is something different going on. Rather than foreigners being welcomed in to pray and to fill up the stadium seats, he sees thousands and thousands of people crammed into this space for this highly commercialized swap meet. One historian by the name of Josephus wrote that that sometimes up to 25,000 lambs were brought into this area and sold there. If you've ever seen like uh, an image or video of the New York Stock Exchange, or if you've ever seen this in a movie where, where they're kind of filling up the floor, you got, it's really loud, people are shouting and pushing each other out of the way. The temple area was kind of like that and then some. Add to that thousands of animals and thousands more people, and that's the scene you have here. And so to be buying and selling goods, to have this commercialized swap meet in this area was an offense to God and his mission for the temple. And so Jesus comes in and he starts flipping over tables in anger. He starts making space to get, to, to, to get rid of this injustice. 
which by the way, tells us that, that our faith is not just about being nice and agreeable to everybody. Sometimes if you love people, you have to hate injustice. You have to fight against it. Some, some of us get angry for unjust reasons just because we're angry people. But here Jesus has what is considered a righteous anger. And so he's flipping over tables and the people are coming over and they're like, hey, what are you doing? What's, what's going on here? Why are you doing this? And Jesus explains in verse 13, we just read it. He says to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves. And what's so significant about the way that he responds here is because his response reveals that he has the power to judge what is right and wrong when it comes to temple worship. And that's because he is the God of the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus is the God of the scriptures. He's the God of the Hebrew scriptures coming down in human flesh. He's the only man who can rightfully judge what goes on in this temple. The temple was supposed to symbolize God's dwelling with Israel for the sake of the world. And the way that these temple workers were doing things, it no longer served as an invitation to the nations, but as a barrier to them. And that's why Jesus is livid. He's like, you've, you've completely got backwards the whole point of this. The point of this is so that we could reach and be a witness to a light to the world. Evangelism and hospitality towards the outsider was supposed to be what's coming happening in that temple. They'd come to the temple, and they'd say, like, hey, 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 you, you outsiders, come over to our temple. Come to our church. Come eat with us. Kind of like how we do to, to, in hospitality today. We invite people to come over. Uh, like, hey, let, let's get to know you. We want to we love you, serve you, answer questions you might have about Jesus. But instead of hospitality and evangelism happening there in the temple courts, business and commerce and nationalism was happening. Instead of inviting people in, people were actually being left out. It was an ungodly and a greedy mess. And so Jesus clears them out so they can get back to why they exist in the first place. And look, church, you need to understand that this is why we exist today too. This is why we gather, why we give, why we serve is so that we can be the light of Christ to those who still don't see that light. We don't charge at the door. We don't make it hard for people to get in. We don't create barriers for them. No, we worship God and then we invite others to worship him with us. As those who know him, we now want to make him known. We're not these elitist saints who stand in the center and look down on those outside on the margins. We're more like humble beggars, showing others where we found the bread of life. And this is what I want you to see about Jesus in this chapter. He alone could point them to the meaning of true worship in the temple. He alone could point them to the meaning of true worship of God. He alone could define what it means to be a true community of God. He alone could call them back to the true mission of God because he is the God of the scriptures. 
when he entered the temple, he noticed a lot of busyness going on. Like many churches today, a lot of busyness, a lot of people, a lot of production, a lot of activity, a lot of noise, a lot of transactions, a lot of commerce, but no true spirituality. No true meeting with God. No true worship of him. Jesus, the one with the true position of authority in the temple, he says, this temple is full of all kinds of activities and flair, but it's missing the very heart of God. The problem is that they were more concerned about doing than they were about just being. They were more distracted by activity than they were delighted in the presence of God in the temple. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us need that word. We need that reminder that, that God wants more from you than just coming to church, singing songs, doing temple activity, religious activity. He wants more from you than just joining like a group or serving on a team. It's not that he doesn't want those things from you. He doesn't want less than those things, but he ultimately wants for you something deeper than that, something more than that. He first wants your heart. He wants the whole of your heart. If he doesn't have your heart, then your religious activity doesn't matter. So he wants your heart. He's after your heart. How do we get that? How does he receive our heart? How do we give that to him? That leads us to our last and final point where we look at number three, our faithful profession. Our faithful profession. We skipped these verses earlier, but I want you to read them now. Verses 10 and 11. It says, when, when he entered Jerusalem, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar. And that's not necessarily a negative uproar. It's this word that means like, like activity was stirring. News was buzzing. The city was in an uproar saying, who's this? All these people shouting, Hosanna, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. That's the question. Who is this? It says the city was stirred. People were unsettled. Why is that? I mean, some people, they probably heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. Bethany is just a couple miles away. And so they're probably wondering, hey, is this that guy? Is this that guy that did the Lazarus thing that rose him from the grave? Some people among the crowds uh, were probably those that had followed him since, since he, he was around Galilee. They're the ones who were probably saying, hey, he's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. There's probably some Galileans, like that's where a lot of Jews were in, from Galilee. And so a lot of Galileans were probably around the temple courts at the entrance of Jerusalem. And they're probably going, yeah, that's right. He's from Galilee, right? Like, he's, that's our boy. He's representing us. That's our team. That's where we're from. 
So there's a lot of confusion around who Jesus is around the temple. Even look at the answer. They say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, is he a prophet? Yeah, he's a prophet, but he's more than that. Is he from Nazareth? Yeah, he's, he's from Nazareth, but he's, he's a lot more than that. A few nights later, in the Gospel of John, we read that one of the disciples, Thomas, asked Jesus this question. And Thomas asked Jesus, he says, hey, look, we, we love all this stuff that you're, you're telling us and teaching us about the kingdom and about our future glory and about our hope, about what it means for us to give you our heart, for us to have this, this, this un, uh, untainted relationship with you and with God the Father. We love all that you're saying about that and about this future kingdom, but we, we don't know exactly how to follow you there. You know how Jesus answers? He gives this famous answer in John 14. Jesus told him, Jesus told Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How we answer that question, who is this that rode into Jerusalem, is so important. I want our answer to be that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. How do you answer that question? If you're a Christian, then at some point, you affirm those words. You said, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God and the savior of sinners. I receive him alone for salvation through the gospel of his life, death, and resurrection in my place. And I now pledge to follow him for the rest of my days. That's what it means to be a Christian. Will you follow him for the rest of your days? Will you follow this king? Will you welcome this king? Are you ready to honor him, to lay down your cloak for him, to lay down anything in your life that you're holding on to that's keeping you from really submitting to him, that's keeping you from really following him and really welcoming him and really trusting him, really giving your whole heart to him? This king is not just a righteous judge. He's also the self-giving sacrifice. He rode into the temp temple to claim it as his own house just so that he could lay down his own life. And he would lay down his own life not in that temple, but because he claimed to be Lord of the temple, they would actually take his life on a cross, on a cross where he was lifted up to be ridiculed, to be shamed, to bleed to death. Why? Why did he do that? So that he could take upon himself our sin and absorb the good and righteous wrath of God against it in our place, in my place, 
and in your place. He did this to save us. He did this to bring us home. And he did this to give us true life. Will you worship him? Will you sing Hosanna? Glory to the Son of David, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.